0: What are sanctions? How are they enforced? And what are the possible outcomes of a sanction? We'll answer all of these questions and more on this edition of Getting Schooled. I'm Abby Hornacek. tuned in to the news in the last several weeks, you've heard about sanctions. The invasion of Ukraine has engulfed global headlines as multiple countries seek a solution to end the Russia-Ukrainian war. Now, while there hasn't been a single solution, politicians have pushed for sanctions against Russia, which we've seen. You've probably been hearing that the U.S. is placing sanctions on Russian oligarchs. But what exactly does that mean in the grand scheme of things? And what does it mean for you? Well, sanctions in general can really affect the global economy. They can act as a way to influence a global crisis. So here to talk me through all of the questions you may have is Mary and David Boyce, Distinguished Fellow in U.S. Foreign Policy, Gideon Rose. And Gideon joins me now. Gideon, how are you?
1: Good this morning. Thanks.
0: That is great to hear because we've got a full podcast ahead of us talking about sanctions, which, you know, this has kind of been a buzzword ever since we heard about Russia's plan to invade Ukraine. There were calls from the beginning to sanction Russia. And then since then, we've seen those sanctions on Russian oligarchs. And now there's this push to sanction Putin's rumored girlfriend. I mean, we've got a lot to break down here. So, you know, I'm glad that you're on with me because I think for the average American watching this, it's important to know. Know exactly what a sanction is. So I'll let you take it away. We'll start from the beginning. What is a sanction?
1: Okay, so there are a lot of ways that nations are tied together. Uh, and there are a lot of ways you can affect another nation or try to. And a sanction is an attempt to manipulate the economic relationships one country has with another uh, in order to achieve its goals. So the the Russians are sending in tanks and firing artillery and dropping bombs on Ukraine, and we're helping Ukraine with its weapons on the ground uh, in order to fight back. And that military aspect of the war is very familiar to us all. Um, the sanctions are essentially a shadow version of that in which we're trying to affect Russian decision-making and penalize Russia by putting constraints on their economy, stopping trade, uh, taking individuals' assets, limiting their ability to get parts or use the banking system, things like that. So it's essentially economic warfare or economic coercion designed to achieve some political goal.
0: I see. Yes. So then how does it work when you are, let's say you're President Biden and you're looking at the situation and you say, look, we really need to impose these sanctions. Where does it start? How are they legislated?
1: Well, actually, the way to think about it, I think, is to start by saying, if you're Biden, you're looking at the situation in Ukraine and you're saying, what can we do? We have a toolkit. We have hammers and pliers and nails and screws and saws. What do we deploy? Uh, You want to help them militarily in some ways. But you don't want to get directly involved because you don't want to get into the risk World War Three. But you say, OK, the Russians are tied to the global economy and that's where we have a strength because we're essentially the dominant figure in that global economy. And people want to be able to trade and they want to be able to get involved. And so maybe we can use some of our economic uh, strength to affect the course of the war. And there are actually several different ways this can work. And it's important before you get into the specifics of each particular sanction, think about them in broad categories. One way is to try to use coercion. In fact, think of it as an economic bomb going and dropped on the Russian economy in which you're trying to hurt them in a very serious way economically that will lead them to change their behavior. Okay. So you want an effect Trying to do to the Russian economy what uh, with with economic weapons, what the Russians are trying to do to the Ukrainian uh, cities with physical weapons. Mm-hmm. The problem with that kind of thing is it the kind of pressure you bring to bear with sanctions usually isn't hard and specific enough to make a change in an immediate uh, country's uh, decision making. They tend to work over the long term and they're not really good in the equivalent way of a bomb. But they can be useful, uh, especially as their effects accumulate. Another way of thinking about it is you're trying to block specific things that they need for the war. One of the most interesting aspects of the current sanctions is we're focusing on the economic consequences for the Russian economy more generally. But what seems to be really important right now, interestingly, is the extent to which, let's say, the parts for Russian advanced weapons are often made in someplace other than Russia. They have supply chain problems, too. And by cutting off uh, their ability to get, let's say, high-tech replacement parts for fancy weapons, it limits their ability to actually have a lot of fancy weapons. And Mm -hmm. since they're using up lots of their current weapons in the actual fighting, one way that these sanctions are actually working is, in effect, to limit the Russian ability to resupply their military forces. That isn't a broad economic measure. It's a it's a, you're not going to be able to get the parts you need. And so you're going to be limited in what you can deploy on the ground. And a third way, finally, has nothing to do with actually changing Russians' uh, attitudes. It's almost to make everybody else watching this understand that if you do something like this, you will pay a price. Sometimes you use sanctions for signaling, They're punitive sanctions. You're just making somebody pay a cost. And even if they continue to do what they're doing, the sanctions can be said to be useful because everybody else around watching realizes, oh, my God, if we do this kind of thing, we're going to have to pay costs, mm. too. And we don't want to do that. So there are various different kinds of uses. But the way they work, essentially, is the White House or Congress decide, uh, issues rulings that enable the government to stop economic transactions that would otherwise happen or freeze bank accounts that so that somebody can't withdraw money. You're talking with the, you know, the oligarchs and things like that. These are the idea here is freeze the assets and uh, block the economic possibilities of people close to the Kremlin in the hope that that puts pressure on them. And they then uh, put pressure on Putin and help end the war. It's a high-profile tactic, but realistically, I think things like the military uh, impact of the sanctions uh, or the long-term economic impact on the Russian economy will be more significant than some of these high-profile sanctions on individuals like Roman Abramovich or things like that, even though that gets a lot of the news, the the owner of the Chelsea uh, 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 you know, soccer club, et cetera.
0: Right, right. So you, you talk about, even just uh, taking military action, which, of course, can be expensive. We're sending weapons. We're sending aid in that sense that costs physical dollars. But when it comes to sanctions, is there any time when sanctions cost the United States?
1: Well, absolutely. And, you know, it's actually a great question because the reason we tend to use sanctions so frequently is because When policymakers are faced with a difficult situation, like the one in Ukraine, let's say country X invades country Y, you don't necessarily want to get really directly involved in the war, because that would be very risky and costly, and no one wants to go around fighting and joining wars, especially now, but at the same time, you don't just want to let it go, and So there's a tendency in American uh, policy circles to to want to do something, to be seen to be doing something on a whole bunch of issues. Now it's about Ukraine, but we use sanctions for the war on drugs. We use it for terrorism. We use it for a variety of cases when it seems to be a way of signaling we're doing something important. They don't necessarily work well because the fact is they're relatively low cost measures compared to you know the reason you're doing sanctions is because you don't actually want to do even more, mm. uh, let's say directly get involved militarily. But the sanctions are manipulating the economic relationship. so they have costs on the target, but they also have costs on you. And what they do is they essentially bring in another dimension of the war, another dimension of the game that's being played. who can last under the economic pressure? If you think of what the Russians are doing, to the Ukrainians in terms of bombing cities. It's almost a game of we're hurting you, but we're hurting you so you will give up. And the sanctions are the same kind of thing. They're economic attempts to hurt somebody in the hopes that they will ultimately feel the pressure and give up. But the question of how long you can maintain them since cutting off relationships hurts you as well. We see this now with Europe and Russia, because Europe depends on Russian energy reserves. And so trying to sanction Russia also hurts Europe, which then has to figure out how to resupply its energy in some other way. And the the game that's going on here is almost like a game of chicken. Can the sanctions work long enough to help change Russian thinking while we are trying to maintain them, or will our own uh, Western or American uh, ability to hold the sanctions together crack before the Russians do. It's kind of a who will ultimately uh, blink first.
0: So the sanctions last until, um, well, obviously until they're effective. But when when does a uh, when does a sanction actually end?
1: So this is actually a wonderful question that people don't pay nearly enough attention to, uh, because in an ideal world you really don't want to be putting all these kinds of constraints on the economy and you don't want to block economic linkages, which should work well for everybody. And so in theory, you should make the sanctions relatively easy to lift when you want mm. to, so that if the person does do what you want, you can lift them. But because it's almost always easier to put things on than to take them off, especially if they're enshrined in legislation, uh, it, it you often end up having sanctions lasting for a very long time, that don't actually achieve anything except to gum up the entire economy. So for example, let's imagine a solution to the war in which the Russians decide not to give up everything, uh, but you have a kind of stalemate in the East and it subsides into what's called a frozen conflict in which the armies stay in place, but you don't have a peace treaty. You don't have a, that In that kind of scenario, these sanctions we're currently putting on the Russians would continue to uh, persist. And it might actually complicate uh war termination unless they're tied to the actual fighting on the ground so the 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 answer is they can be lifted by the people who put them on but if you think of the political pressures that helped lead to the putting the sanctions on in the first place you have to do something the there's going to be a lot of political pressure domestically to not take them off We have all sorts of sanctions on drug countries, all sorts of sanctions on terrorism countries. Uh, The question that's going on right now in which uh, in Iran, in which the Biden administration is talking about removing a particular entity, the Republican guards uh, from a prohibited terrorism list, which would which sanctions them. Uh, The reason it it gets very hard to lift sanctions, which is one of the reasons policy that the wonk policymakers often resist putting on too many sanctions at first because they know how hard they'll be to remove, whereas the politicians often like sanctions because it signals at seemingly low upfront costs that we're doing something big, but then it creates headaches down the road when you try to get out of it.
0: Right. Yeah, that, that it's it's a complicated thing. Like you said, it's a game of chess, and and when you bring politics into it, you do have that pressure from both sides to say, "Hey, is it time to lift this? Why are we lifting it, and and should it still be in place?" And and it, it is more complicated, I think, when you're you're not talking about a war necessarily, but you're talking about like the war on drugs. It, it, that's which is its own type of war. Um, really depends, exactly. probably on you're the situation. Using,
1: exactly, and so we use sanction. Uh, so so this case of sanctions that the United States has brought into play for the Ukraine conflict actually, I think, is a pretty sensible set of sanctions over the years, over the decades. We've learned how to target them more precisely so you don't end up, in effect, depriving children of medicine and things like that. You target Mm -hmm. the financial assets of powerful people or the particular industries that you need uh, to block and so forth. Um, But they come at a cost. And the interesting question will be, in the long run, how will this end, not just on the ground in Ukraine, but even the sanctions? And so, for example, there are costs to doing it because other people don't, who are not part of the conflict, yeah, they may want Russia to be penalized and they may l- support Ukraine in some notional sense, but they also don't like the idea that the U.S. can just basically step in and block economic transactions at will. So, mm-hmm. for example, one of the things we've done in this war, which has been unique, is we have blocked Russian banks from using the international banking system, the SWIFT codes, things like that. This is a huge move. It's never been done before. It's basically cutting off the Russian economy from the modern uh, global banking system that, 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 that Amer- and access to American banks and that kind of stuff, which – other countries looking at this may go, wait a second, I have no sympathy for what Russia is doing, but who gave the United States the ability to uh, – uh, to, 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 I don't want to be shut out of the entire economy if suddenly they decide they don't like what I'm doing. And so people have worried that our continued reliance on sanctions and our eager reliance on things like the massive sanctions now may lead people to – in the long run, move away from the dollar mm. because things denoted in dollars are subject to Washington's political whims. And so uh, there are a lot of people who say, even if you don't like what's going on in Russia, you need to be careful not to make it seem that the global economy can be politicized at the drop of a hat. So it's a, actually a complicated, it seems like it's an easy, simple, cost-free <laughs> or low-cost option, but it's a- there's no free lunch, and, uh, especially for things you know, a lot of people have felt that the United States has gotten very easily you know, hooked on sanctions as a cheap signaling alternative. It's kind of like virtue signaling when it comes to the war on drugs or terrorism or things like that. It becomes a way to say I'm against this without actually thinking about the particular policy consequences.
0: All right. We've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy
1: and me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts.
0: Speaking of cost, what happens on the other side if the sanctions are breached? How costly can those consequences be and how do those consequences change depending on the situation?
1: So there's a lot of little smuggling and stuff that goes on along the sides, uh, and and so small breaches are there. But realistically, um, the 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 institutions of the global economy are uh, work in a certain way, and the Russians who are being deprived of those uh, economic linkages will end up trying to find ways around them. One way will be to deal with other countries that aren't connected to the same system. So like the Chinese will pick up some of the slack, uh, but not quickly and not easily. They'll do replacement substitutes. We've Mm -hmm. talked about insuring here. One of the things the Russians uh, during the pandemic or as the United States has gotten upset about being dependent on supply lines and supply chains outside Uh, we've all tried to figure out how to make the United States more insulated. So the Russians are doing the same thing. They'll try to figure out substitutes uh, for the things. It's not so much that they're going to be violating the sanctions by getting giant major illicit arms sales because nobody can provide that for them. But the question is, will they be able to substitute domestic alternatives Mm. for some of the imported things that they were getting? And another question is, will the Russian people uh, be upset at being deprived of Connection to the global economy. Uh, I have a teenage uh, daughter, and taking away her phone is <laughs> the most terrible thing you could possibly ever huh. do. Uh, it's uh, and but you're putting a know, sanction on her communication,
0: Gideon. Exactly,
1: <laughs> cutting them off from the internet. Cutting your children off from the internet uh, is 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 a fate worse than death. <laughs> uh, but but if you're not incredibly tied to the internet in the first place. You know, being cut off or deplatformed from various kinds of things doesn't bother you as much. One of the things we don't really know is how far the connection of Russia to the global economy and the global information networks have gone such that is it really possible that they can be cut off from this stuff and the population will just say, "Okay, yeah, we'll take it. My hunch is that the Russians are much more resilient and willing to do without than Mm. my teenage daughter. (laughs) And So the sanctions, you know, won't actually have the direct impact that we think they might be. Um, But we'll have to just see. And again, it's a kind of it also interacts with what's going on in the military side of things. And again, the most interesting aspect of the current sanctions now, even though they haven't gotten quite as much public play, is the extent to which the Russians are the Ukrainians are doing much better militarily than anybody expected. And the Russians are doing much worse. But as that goes on, the Russians are losing not just lots of soldiers and generals, but lots of ammunition, lots of tanks, lots of advanced weapon systems. And if the sanctions can prevent the Russians from being able to uh, resupply their munitions, the interaction of the war plus the sanctions could have a a combined effect that neither one of them alone might have. And these are the kind of ways that the the economic side of things can play into the uh, political side of things and the military. Mm -hmm. But it all comes down to what Putin wants and how much he feels he can get away with. All at the end of the day, these are indirect weapons that try to affect Russian decision making and calculations. But it still leaves Russia and Putin the ability to hunker down in isolation, for example, like a North Korea. Uh, And that can go on for a long time. If you have internal control over your country.
0: By the way, that's a great comparison that you made with your daughter because, you know, she might not be able to go without communication. So not only. You have the, the the sections where they're like, OK, we can't we can't go without this. So they find out another way to do it. She might start writing letters. She might, you know, get a carrier pigeon and, and have her letters delivered that way. And so, you know, it's interesting to see how you, you kind of again back to that game of chess. You have to figure out how to still punish people or, or country rather if they start to maneuver around the sanctions and make sure that those sanctions are still effective.
1: Absolutely. And, um, you know, I sometimes uh, the question of can you get somebody to help you evade the sanctions? I remember Mm. sometimes when she would go to her older brother uh, and try to use his phone to keep up some of her (laughs) social media things. Uh, The question the United States is a big, powerful player, but there are lots of other people in the world these days who can help Russia or join the sanctions. And one of the questions that we need to think about is. It's not just U.S. or NATO versus Russia. Uh, There's a broader economy. And so sanctions work best when you have, in effect, almost everybody involved. And the person who's being sanctioned is completely isolated. The less we can truly isolate Russia, the more there are lots of other countries like India and China and much of the Middle East and Brazil that continue to, in effect, be relatively neutral in the conflict the harder it will be to make the sanctions so penalizing that the Russians uh, will give in. It's oh, another burden they have to bear. But essentially what we're trying to do on the battlefield, on the economic battlefield, in other kinds of ways, is increase the pressure on Russian leaders so that they decide, you know what, this really was a mistake and we now need to back Retreat, away and yeah. And retreat in order to lift with them. But as part of that, it's important, and this goes back to the lifting of sanctions. It's important that we not just say we're penalizing you, but we will stop penalizing you if you do X. It's the point is there has to be an end game. And the, uh, if the Russians think we're going to keep the sanctions on no matter what. If the Russians think we are now out to screw Russia permanently and this is just then they really have no incentive to change their behavior because nothing they do would make the pain stop. So it's important when you put sanctions on to recognize that you're doing so not just as a permanent black mark like some A.O. adulterer. and This is going to shun them forever, but rather it's a tool that you can stop using in order to uh, get the give the person you're sanctioning an incentive to stop doing whatever it is you want them to
0: stop. What about trade sanctions? Because we're talking about Russia, Ukraine, but just in a broader sense, you know, the U.S. has imposed some trade sanctions as well. What have those been?
1: So the trade sanctions are interesting because they essentially block commercial relations between the countries. And here there have been massive ones, but they have some big loopholes. And because the fact is, since Russia is so uh significant to energy markets, the Western Europeans in particular, but the globe in general, uh, isn't really willing to cut them off totally. You can't isolate them the way you would, let's say fully isolate uh, North Korea. And so you can put so so we're putting sanctions on some areas, but there's still energy that's flowing back and forth, and that's actually giving uh, Russia reserves of money that can mm. be used for the war. And so now, in the last week or so, it started to get interesting because there, the uh, in the, up to now, the war and the sanctions have sort of been somewhat separate and haven't been directly connected. But now that the Russians are starting to lose on the battlefield, or at least have run into major problems they didn't expect, and the war is continuing, and now that the sanctions are trying to bite, the Russians are starting to get um, annoyed, shall we say. And instead of just either giving in, or sucking it up they're threatening to escalate they're trying to use to push back uh and one of the things they're doing is saying hey uh nuclear that there's a whole nother level of war we could go to here if you keep doing this with the nuclear stuff i think that's a bluff but they're trying to use their own uh manipulation of whatever economic tools they have as well so they just cut off uh sales of uh oil and gas to some eastern european countries um Mm -hmm. And uh, like Poland, and the idea is, okay, hey, you're, you're cutting us off? Well, we'll cut you off, and you're more <laughs> dependent than we are. And yeah. uh, it's interesting because like we had Libya after Lockerbie and other kinds of terrorist attacks. Everybody put, the United States and the United Nations put Libya under sanctions during the Gaddafi era for a very long time, from the mid-'80s all the way through the early aughts, but because Libyan oil was so good and cheap and near to Europe, everybody sort of, even as they were being sanctioned, they allowed Libyan oil to flow onto European markets. So you had a weird situation in which the country was in isolation, but the oil managed to get out. And you're developing something in the short term, at least a little bit like that now, which is even as there's a big war going on, even as normal trade relations are disrupted, even as there's a lot of talk of the economics about specific individuals and seizing assets, the main part of the Russian global economic exchange, which is Russian energy going out in return for money coming in, is still being allowed to continue because it's just too important to the West uh, to, to cut off. Um, and until oh, this is the something that puts uh, attention on just how tied you are to other countries. And this can be good and bad. The bad part is it means you're tied to it. The good part is it means, you know, look, the global economy works best when everybody works together. Sanctions are not cost free and they shouldn't be seen as something that's easy to do and that you often jump into in uh, in a situation whenever you just don't know what's going on. There are real costs to it, but the challenge is, okay, how do you use economics as a weapon in this broader war rather than just limit it to military things on the battlefield.
0: Well, I'm curious, when it comes to trade sanctions, obviously you can kind of look at a situation and say, "Okay, well, that's just affecting this country. That's just affecting that country. But everything is really related. So how do trade sanctions affect business? And can you just explain how that can still be relevant, even if that company doesn't operate in the United States?
1: Oh, sure. So, well, for example, if you have countries that uh, are supplying businesses that used to supply Russia, well they're now going to be uh in trouble you know the, the the businesses that had tried to develop uh russian operations those operations are all being you know we have con- we're sanctioning russia and russia has said fine we're you, we're going to take over your businesses there if you invested in russia you're in probably not so good shape right mm. now um, the the kinds of there a ripple of the global economy is incredibly complicated and the ripple effects of keeping Russia at odds, play out through various different sectors. They're not going to affect the American economy dramatically in major ways, but they do do things like increase inflation. Uh, they do do things like put extra stress on growth. And uh, they are doing things like cutting off Russian wheat uh, and Russian, uh, uh, there's, a, there's food, supplies that come from russia and ukraine to the the developing world for example um and the cutoff of those can produce turmoil in countries that fun suddenly find themselves with much higher food prices uh and so it could be there are destabling consequences whenever you rip up the tightly integrated fabric of the global economy but the question we're facing is there are times when there are other things more important than turmoil and in this case the feeling is that trying to make a point and trying to get the Russians to not just pull out uh, of Ukraine, but for everybody to make, to understand you can't get away with aggression, the feeling is the turmoil is worth it in this
0: situation. Mm-hmm. Gideon, as we kind of wrap things up here, I always like to bring it back to the average American. So when it comes to sanctions, you're watching your news and you're saying, okay, well, this sanction's being placed. How does that affect? an average American?
1: So what I would say is we tend to look for we want to have it all. We know there's no such thing as a free lunch, but we want to uh, be able to have our moral satisfaction and outrage without paying any costs. And sanctions seem like they are a simple way of penalizing Russia uh, in an additional way to sort of without getting involved in the actual war. But because It does have blowback effects because the global economy is connected. It means that there are going to be consequences such as somewhat higher inflation. There's a lot of reasons why inflation is going up. But the more you disrupt the global economy, the more uh, uh, that will be a problem. The more uh, you disrupt with sanctions the normal workings of the economy in a major way, the more you uh, increase uh, or you lower growth. Um, And so all these things, they create headwinds. And if you're very concerned about jobs domestically, if you're very concerned about inflation, if you're very concerned about growth, you want to be very careful in applying sanctions abroad because those things ultimately work as drags on the global, on the American economy. The American economy is a big, strong, powerful uh, uh, boat moving forward, but you're tying weights to it. And you're, you're dragging it back every time you put on something that is a political goal you want to achieve that doesn't that has negative economic consequences. So there are individual and specific uh, industries or businesses connected to Russia that will be hurt by this. But in general, it's kind of just an extra headwind. Um, and I, I actually feel that in this, what you want to do is be able to reserve sanctions for something like this. Uh, because there is a real good reason why you want to make Russia pay a price, and this is a very useful and valuable way to be able to do that. But we should keep in mind that the policies we think of as separate, uh, because, you know, there's Russia over here, there's inflation over here, there's growth over here, there's economic, they're actually all somewhat tied together. And we want to be careful uh, to understand the full costs of, quote-unquote, doing something, uh, especially when it's not a situation like Ukraine, when it's not super urgent and super significant. And that's the basic point, I think, on sanctions, which is they're useful tools, but you want to be careful not to, A, overuse them, B, use them for things that aren't really necessary, and C, lift them when (laughs) the specific occasion uh, for using them is over, so that you can actually Get on with growing your economy and doing what you want to do in terms of growth and jobs and lowering inflation.
0: A fantastic way to put it, and and I love that you say it is. It's kind of like a weight on a moving boat that's going forward, and you're just trying to drag it back a little bit. That's you're you're really good at your comparisons. This is this is great. Well, I hope you gave your daughter her phone back. I think it's been enough time. Uh, Thank you for coming on with me. Gideon Rose, everyone. Gideon, by the way, that's that's a name made for a podcast. Gideon Rose. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. If you missed anything from class, these are my office hours. And here are some top takeaways about sanctions. Number one, sanctions are an attempt to influence the economy. Gideon defined them kind of like a shadow version of military action or economic warfare. Which brings me to number two. Sanctions can have an effect on the global economy, and since the global economy is complicated, there's a ripple effect of keeping, let's say, Russia at odds. Sanctions can increase inflation, they can put extra stress on growth, and when it comes to food supplies that come from Russia to the developing world, like wheat, that can create turmoil in countries in relation to food prices. And number three. Gideon says we tend to use sanctions so frequently because it's a way to be seen doing something when you don't want to fully be involved, but it has to be done intentionally. Sanctions can be lifted by the people who put them on, But if you think about the political pressure to put them on in the first place, you're going to see that it's tough to take them off. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast on sanctions. For more podcasts, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and leave us a review. This has been Getting Schooled with Abby Hornacek on the Fox News Podcast Network. Class dismissed.